Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It's the Clash of the Titans. Terrifying Halloween Countdown Special. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Halloween Countdown Special, where we're dealing with a pagan punch-up. So, on Monday's episode, we watched God-fearing Edward Woodward get hot under the collar on Summer Isle, Scotland. And today, we're going to Summer's Isle off the northwest coast of America, where bee-fearing Nicolas Cage is the man who is overcooked in every possible way. From 2006, it's Neil DeBute's remake of The Wicker Man. We'll have a champion by the end of the show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. Step away from the bike. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Chris Tilly. And we have no Victoria once again this week, but we do have, offering his expert opinion on today's film, the director of Fright Fest, a man who, if you cut him, he would bleed pure horror, the wonderful Paul McAvoy. Hello, Paul. Hello, Alex, and hello, Chris. Hello, Paul. Great to have you back. Thank you. Uh, are you looking forward to uh, to today's film? Oh, I cannot wait. Oh. All right, I won't spoil it. We won't go too early on this one, because... Wow. Just wow. Wow, wow, wow. Um, so we mentioned uh, Fright Fest on Monday's episode, but a quick reminder, touch wood, it is going to be happening uh, potentially in person in, yeah, at some, the end of the month. Hopefully some form of a, a physical event. Um, could also possibly, well, definitely going to be a digital as well, but we're crossing fingers, hoping that... It'll be a physical and and digital. But no, no, the, it looks, well, I'm saying it looks, it, there's not going to be the, the wonderful Fright Fest uh, stalwart that is the quiz, because uh, oh, I hosted it last sorry. year. It was so much fun. I had a I great know. time. We'll have to do it next year, hopefully. It's also uh, the toughest quiz in the world. <laughs> it was so hard. <laughs> it was Andy Nyman questions. Was, oh, no, Giles, Giles Edwards questions. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Tough. 
tough. But we will say we are recording this a couple of weeks before this goes out and things are changing really fast. So if you want the latest news on what's happening in FrightFest, head to frightfest.co.uk. Yes, indeed. Uh, so uh, let's get straight into this because, uh, you know, we can sort of uh, avoid the, the truth of this episode for as long as we like, but eventually we will have to get to it. And uh, the truth is that uh, I picked uh, these movies, uh, The Wicker Man versus The Wicker Man remake. I gave this film to Victoria and on her first ever a week of being absent from the show uh, she somehow managed to dodge this bullet <laughs> and palm off a film that i gave to her back onto me so i now have the task of going through the wicker man remake <laughs> when when she messaged you and me about this you went wow so the first time you're ever off and you're giving me the wicker man remake <laughs> yep <laughs> yep <laughs> all right Let's do this. And as you said, three middle-aged men talking about the Wicker Man remake. It's perfect. It couldn't be better, could it? I mean, of all the shows, for, I mean, she she must be seething that she's not here to to do this film justice because she. I imagine she would have a lot to say. She'd have some thoughts. About a matriarchal society that we are probably going to totally ignore. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, if you are both ready, then strap in, ladies and gentlemen, Clash Potters one and all, here is the synopsis to The Wicker Man. Nicholas Cage stars as Edward Malice, a police officer who's allergic to bees and unbelievably ends up searching for a missing girl on a honey-producing island that is home to a billion bees and a strange matriarchal neo-pagan community. Will you tell us what man represents in his purest form? Phallic symbol, phallic symbol. <laughs> How dare you stand there and frighten my children? He's been invited there by his ex-fiancée, who disappeared years ago, but now turns up and claims the missing girl is their daughter. Remember, at this point, Nicolas Cage is a police officer who at no point questions any of this. Anyway, once there, he has to deal with all kinds of things, like a mystery object in a bag which may or may not be a shark. What's in the bag? A shark or something? People who won't step away from the bike. Step away from the bike. Dolls that offer no explanation to how they got burned. And of course, the bees. Not the bees. What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! Then he gets burned alive, the end. Wow, <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, the Wicker Man remake. I have a daughter. Her name is Rowan. She has been missing for two weeks now. I fear she is in danger, so now I turn to you. Be careful and believe nothing that you see or hear. Lost your bearings? Oh, hey, sorry. Snuck up on me there. This is private property. Do you know her? Hmm, I don't recognize this child. Welcome. My little girl is still here. been taken by who I don't know. I'll find her. If she existed, we would know of her. Whose desk is this, hmm? Rowan? Hello? You suspect foul play. Hey! Wicker Man returns. Who's the Wicker Man? I'm gonna search every inch of this town. She'll burn to death. She burned to death. 
I need your help. So, uh, let's start with your, your personal history uh, with this movie. Uh, Paul, have you watched this before? I had watched it before, and certain elements of it were indelible. Um, the, the punching of nuns, <laughs> um, the bike motif, the bike... <laughs> <laughs> um, it was worse than I remembered it, and I remembered it being pretty bad. <laughs> Chris? So, obviously, being a big Wicker Man fan, I was... You don't want to see your favourite films remade. But then mm. when I heard Neil LeBute, Neil LeBute was doing it. Because um, Neil LeBute, it sounds like <laughs> he, he's French. It's Neil LeBute, but uh, he's giving it a French twist. He made some really interesting films before this. Mm. And then when I heard it was going to be about this fully matriarchal society done by him, who made quite political films and plays, mm. um, I thought, oh, that could be interesting. And then when I heard what the film was actually like, I never watched it. I didn't want to watch it. I wasn't interested. And I watched it for the first time yesterday. Oh, oh this was your first really? watch as well? This was a first time watch because just because everyone, I just didn't need it in my brain. It felt like a waste mm. of time. Um, yeah. And yeah. And so it was a first watch for me as well for exactly the same reason. You mm. saw, you read some reviews and then you just basically end up going, well, how long am I going to be on this planet? Yeah. Uh, what is more important, eating this sandwich or watching the Wicker Man remake? And then based on, obviously, the memes that have come out about it, the, the, there's a famous YouTube video about uh, of Nicolas Cage performances. That's sort of got me a little bit more interested in it again. So I was really pleased when you picked it because I thought it will actually, this could be fun. Yeah. Mm. There's an interesting thing about those memes, though, because a, a lot of um, fans of Nicolas Cage argue that the, this came out shortly after sort of the advent of YouTube. And suddenly on YouTube, you had um, people uploading just all the ridiculous moments from this movie taken completely out of context. Mm. And Nicolas Cage fans are like, this really isn't fair on him because you're just laughing at moments that without seeing the context you know, might actually make sense. And they, some people actually uh, join this and this movie and all these videos on YouTube with a kind of a downturn in his box office ability because mm. people sort of start to, like you say, put compilations of his other performance and this idea of crazy Nick, like, and his crazy eyes came about as a result of this movie. So this movie has a lot to answer for. Mm. A lot it, it was the, the dawning of cage rage. Mm. That's the one. That's the phrase I was looking I think, for. Didn't he also have some seriously big tax bills? And so he started churning out DTV stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's what really happened. Well, weirdly, that sort of like, there was a couple before this, but it's after this that we got the likes of Bangkok Dangerous and, you know, some really. And now cool. he's making really cool, interesting genre films that, you know, I'm sure you guys have programmed some of them. I've seen them at festivals. Yeah. And like, he's making, he's doing what he should be doing right now. Yeah, Mandy, amazing, oh, Colour wow. Out of Space, yeah, fabulous. Really yeah. cool stuff. Yeah, well, um, let's, uh, let's, uh, <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you as well as our histories with the move, uh, this movie. I'll tell you a little bit about um, Neil Labute's history with this movie. I come to The Wicker Man as a fan, but I've never felt like I can't touch it because I want to go in a different direction. You'll still have the original, and while we end up in the same place, 
it's a very different journey to get there. You're not wrong. <laughs> you are not wrong. Um, and he says, if people are fair, they'll see how very different two films can be about the same material. <laughs> that's not fair. That's just an observation. That's, uh, that's just sort of going, yep, yeah, they are very, very different, uh, Neil. So it came out uh, in an era of horror remakes, the um, noughties. Uh, there'd been talk of actually remaking it since the 1990s. Uh, the rights were optioned by Universal. And in March 2002, it was revealed that Neil LeBute was writing and directing The Wicker Man, uh, starring Nicolas Cage, uh, made by Nicolas Cage's production company, Saturn Films. So he's actually a producer on this as well. Nicolas Cage's interest in doing this film was because his friend, Johnny Ramone, of The Ramones, mm. uh, he says, my late friend Johnny Ramone invited me to come over and see this movie, The Wicker Man. I was extremely disturbed by it and it stayed with me for a couple of weeks. Hmm. I mean, that's kind of what happened to me. Didn't want to remake it, though. No, did not. Me neither. Me neither. I thought, oh, that's good. Let's leave well enough alone. Uh, so, and then... I think Vicky brought this up uh, when I was talking to her about doing this movie and she was like, I'm so shocked to find out this isn't a passion project mm. for Neil uh, LeBute. Mm -hmm. And I am too. You sort of go, if you're going to touch that original, you've got to sort of come at it like, I, you know what? It inspired me in a way that has lived with me since I first saw it and, and this is what I want to do with it. Mm. And he sort of says, I, I came to it almost accidentally. Um he, uh, a bit about Neil LeBute, first of all, because uh, you kind of touched on this, Chris, and I don't know uh, his early work. I don't know in the company of men and your friends and neighbours, uh, mm. but reading around them, uh, he has this nickname uh, as uh, Neil LeBrute, mm. uh, the Mormon misogynist, um, the suave, savage architect of lacerating anti-date movies in which male characters channel anger and sadism towards women. Yeah, but you could say he's having a go at what we now call toxic masculinity, mm, what yeah. these films are ultimately about, because these characters are the villains, the, the, the male characters in his film. So yep. that's what I thought could make this interesting, turns out. Not. Yeah. Well, it just feels like... It just feels like he sort of went, oh, yeah, I've got an idea. He wasn't even meant to be directing it. And he was sort of talking to, to people, uh, the, the film studios, and like they were sort of going, have you got any ideas? Just uh, by the by about this movie. And uh, he said, These are, this is an actual quote from him. It wasn't me going to anybody else and saying, hey, I'd love to remake The Wicker Man. While I'd always thought it was the kind of movie ripe for a remake because I'd always loved it, I didn't think it was particularly well made. It was a blast to watch, but it makes you giggle too. All right. Uh, it's just yeah. all of this before uh, the, the movie came out, by the way. Uh, and it's important to know that. Um, so uh, he, he said it's very much the same idea here. It was kind of like, well, what's another version? Uh, we can't exactly do the same religious idea. I mean, uh, not that you couldn't, but we opted not to. So I threw out this notion of this matriarchal society and this sort of honeycomb of a plot. And they said, great. And they thought, who better to create it? And so off I went. I, lo I love the way you used... The honeycomb of yeah. a plot. Mm. Mm. So, so he got forced into it. Basically, is what he's saying. It was again, like, like I'm saying, it's just it's sort of it feels like it feels like a, a shrug. It feels like yes, all right, completely. And, and you know what? I I um I listened to the director's commentary on the DVD of this. It's it's uh, it's Neil with producer Norm Golightly and editor Joel Plotch, and it feels like their hearts aren't in it. I mean, he's very pleased with his work on the film. That's <laughs> for sure. Sorry, but but he um. It doesn't seem like he's particularly connected to it. Mm. And you know what? 
you really get that feel when you're sort of reading round that question. Now, he is famous for sort of not wanting to basically answer the question mm. of what his movies are about. He kind of likes a discussion uh, around them. So you can sort of go, well, he's doing that. But when he's been asked about, so what is this about? What is what is this matriarchal society? What is the theme of this movie? And the answers are just sort of so wishy-washy that you're mm. like, I just don't know if you know. He sort of goes... This male-female power shift, a kind of a masculization. I think I'm touching on that more than anything. And then he goes, I, you know, it's been 30 years and I think I've got a legitimate idea about it. It's an island of women and Nicolas Cage. That sounds like an evenly matched game to me. You're like, but, but what are you saying, Neil? What, what is this, what is this a, a, about? And then he goes, well, there was definitely an idea to make not so much a cautionary tale, but to take this to its illogical conclusion and have fun with it. Put this guy in this position, the position that the young woman usually finds herself in, running through some town of backwoodsmen. And this guy who thinks he's got the power of the police and the patriarchy and all these things in his pocket and then take those things away and put him on a bike and he's running around the island on his little shirt and tie and you're like it's sort of it's like a mashup of sort of like different themes mm. yeah and uh, you know i was excited to listen to that commentary because i thought oh i might get some answer to some quite basic questions i've got about why scenes are, exist in this film and mm. i don't think there are answers to them he doesn't there's no depth it's a quite a bad commentary if i'm honest and there's no depth to anything he says really because i don't think he knows why he did half the things in this film because oh. mm. it'll look good or because it'll sound good or because mm. it I, I think it we think it'll be funny or it's yeah it's it's bizarre how this came together the industry of the original summer isle was apples he says here we've changed it to honey and bees uh, there was something fairly innocuous about apples, but with bees, every step on the island could be dangerous. He becomes more and more <laughs> on his own, and the power of the women begins to grow. It doesn't. Wow. They're powerful from the start. It doesn't. It just doesn't make sense. So I've, I, at this point, I gave up trying to sort of fight <laughs> because I watched it, and then I was like, right, uh, maybe there is something I, I've missed here. Maybe yeah. I'm going to find out something. Like it's it's one of those films where. Um, talking about it is actually more fun than actually putting yourself through the watching <laughs> of the film. I... Because un until about an hour in, it, it's so po-faced and so boring. I didn't find it And then not finally enjoyable. it clicks into gear when it goes into ridiculous gear mm. with, with the nun stuff, etc. I find but it relatively then, entertaining. So I honestly found it relatively entertaining. I didn't oh. think it was very good. But I, I was, I found myself enjoying watching it. But I think the best example is what I said on on the last episode, is where Lebute decided to put an extra S in Summer Isle, mm. and he for no, there's no reason to do that. He said because I thought it would sound better and be easier to say, and then he found it harder to say through the rest of the commentary, so it wasn't easier to say. <laughs> so you're just doing things for the sake of it without any real thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you, Paul, I watched them both back to back, which is quite an interesting experience because he sort of does cherry pick moments from the mm, original yeah, li actual lines. Yep. And that's very jarring because they sort of stand out as quite good lines <laughs> around yeah. the rest of the conversations. And it, uh, he, he did say, you know, in the, the, the preamble to this being released, there are people out there who say, literally, I don't care if it's good or bad, good or bad. I hate the fact that they're doing it. Uh, so that's a difficult audience to work with. Uh, it certainly included the original film's director, Robin Hardy. Uh, he said, I can't stand the idea of a new version. I won't be seeing it. I think it's a crime. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, 
That's that's about it. Although based on how much I love the folk songs in the original, you know, just to, just to really get my goat at the very end of my research, he goes, um, I don't have nearly as many songs. Uh, it's surprising how many people say it's their favourite soundtrack, the original. I'm like, come on, you may not like the new one, but if that's your favourite soundtrack, I don't know if I want you to like my film. Wow. And Angelo Bad- Badalamenti's score for mm. this is, and I love him, you know, he's worked with David Lynch, etc. is so good. It's so pedestrian and so it's, on the it's nose. It's for the wrong film. And just, yeah, oof. it doesn't feel like it's for this film. No. Um, but it, interesting on the commentary, they'd obviously recorded it. It was specifically for the English DVD. And um, I guess some reviews had come out in America before they did it. And so reviews had been laughing at the film. And I don't know if I came at this film ready to laugh because of the YouTube videos. Of course, they made me laugh. I was, I was waiting to, 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 for certain scenes. Mm. But this is right at the start of before, before the YouTube videos. He said critics were laughing at it and in their reviews saying it was unintentionally funny. He said, but all the laughs are intentional in this film. <laughs> I, I, I think... Because I've been quite harsh on him because I got a bit angry as I was researching it because I was it was just a quagmire of half sentences and, and no answers. <laughs> a bit like this podcast. <laughs> but I do... He does say at one point that there was a butting of heads in the production and who the other people were, he doesn't say, but he does say, look, we came to it, like, you know, making, you know, the setup being funny. A bit like the original, this idea that, you know, it's a curveball because you sort of like, you're disarmed by all this silliness and these sort of like odd moments. And you're like, oh, this is quite charming and it's kind of funny. And then, bang, you get the ending of the original and it was there to shock people. But he said there were people trying to put jump scares into this, Mm. uh, which he didn't agree with. Well, Nicolas Cage said, there is a mischievous mind at work on The Wicker Man. You know what I mean? And I finally kind of said it. I might have known that the movie was meant to be absurd. But saying that now after the fact is okay. But to say it before the fact is not because you have to let the movie have its own life. (sighs) Now, I think what he means there is that he couldn't say it was supposed to be funny until audiences found it funny, which is... I think that's hedging your bets there, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, because he said that in 2010. So four years, he's like, I knew all along. I knew all along. Um, Right. Let's let's get to going through the film, but just, I have one question, mm. which kind of ties into what you've just said. What do you make of Nicolas Cage's performance in this? Because, like you just said, do we think that he has gone? This is this script is not great, uh, or it's like it's funny. I'm going to play this for laughs, or do you think he's sort of gone? No, this is the performance I'm I'm giving, and I don't know it's, if it's going to be funny or not. It's an odd one, isn't it? Because. He he plays it straight up until about fifty one minutes in, and then it just flips. Uh, up and up until that point, he I think he he does it okay. I mean, he's like fish out of water, obviously. Um, but yeah, and but then I I like it when he goes into like that. That makes the film funny is when he go he does all the the nun stuff and the, the and the bike stuff and stuff like that. And arguably, like it sh- those jokes are shot fantastically as well. Like yeah. actually like Neil Butte, like the direction of the bit where he runs into the room and unmasks the three kids <laughs> and then jogs out again. Yeah. And it's like all one shot and you're like, this is it's 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 a farcical comic moment and it's done very well. But I love it when he answers the phone as well. Suddenly he's got the mobile phone for the first time and <laughs> is it was it Frank or something? Hello Frank or something. <laughs> I I think he's quite bad in this film. I think he makes a series of really bad acting decisions. Um yeah. as you say, maybe he was trying to amuse himself. You see, I don't. 
I did. I I think he's fantastic in this. I I really do. I think he's absolutely brilliant, and I, I would watch this again for his performance and for the jokes. I did not hate this movie. Like mm. everything I've yeah, said, I didn't hate it. I was didn't hate like, it. I got a bit annoyed with sort of trying to find out stuff about this movie, and there being no real, you know, it, it all got very wishy washy. But as a film to sit down and watch, probably with a beer in your hand. This is this is great fun. Yeah. This would be a good film to watch at a midnight screening, which doesn't mm. seem to happen. It hasn't really taken off in that way that other films have, but I could totally imagine that, which is weird to say because I didn't watch it because I was offended at the, the idea of it in the first mm. place. But actually, I had fun with it. Right then. Well, right. let's see how much fun we have going through uh, this. I think I'm going to keep contradicting myself today. I hated it. I loved it. I hated it. <laughs> I feel the same. Like part of I think part of me is like, I have to accept that this isn't a great film. And that other part of me is like, I, I, I love a, an awful film. I, mm. I really do love a bad film and a bad film like this that, ne- that never lets on. I, I think, I honestly think, well, we'll get onto it later because I think there's something <laughs> insanely clever about what Nicolas Cage does with his performance. Screw it, right. I'll just do it now. I think it's the fact that what he does with his performance in this movie is walk a line that is so narrow whereby he is playing like it, knowing it's funny and knowing it's a ridiculous thing and knowing these scenes are preposterous and he's playing them for laughs, but he's playing them for laughs in such a way that if any studio heads saw those rushes and went, what the fuck is this? We're making a horror movie here. He can legitimately say, I'm not playing that for laughs. Like it's on such a narrow like path that he mm. could legitimately look them in the eye and go, that's my performance in this movie. And I 100% disagree. I think that's some of the stuff that spoils it is, is what he's doing. And we'll get to, we'll get to them. We'll talk All about right. them later. All right, shall we take a quick break now and then get into the movie? Let's do that. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
Join me, Melissa Reddy, and listen to my brand new podcast, Between the Lines. I'll be speaking to the biggest names in football about the captivating, behind-the-scenes stories fans want to hear. From major talking points to untold anecdotes, you'll hear from some of football's leading stars as well as those working in the shadows. In our first episode, I spoke to former Spurs manager Maurizio Pochettino about that Amazon documentary. We feel responsible because it was uh, very difficult to say yes to open the door to Amazon. Only we watch with Jesus the 25 minutes first because it was until we uh, left the club. And on our latest episode, I investigate how prevalent and damaging social media abuse is in football. And I was like taking all this negativity onto myself and I did. I kind of lost myself and my personality because I knew everything that was going on around it. And it's not until I actually got to a stage where I thought, I can't take this anymore. It is becoming too much for me that I spoke out about it. Craving football insight? Well, look no further. Listen to Between the Lines with me, Melissa Reddy, via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. This was a Stakhanov production. All right, then. We are back to go through the Wickerman remake. So... Uh, we start, uh, and uh, Old Cage is uh, flicking through some books in a, in a service station uh, in a completely unresolved and unnecessary subplot where he purchases self-help books. Uh, I don't know what that's about. This is before he's had his traumatic incident, so he's this just is, a guy. This is one of those um, things I was hoping for an explanation on the commentary, and I think it was just so uh, Neil Lebute could put two of his mates in the film. So the person on the front of the book is either the producer or the editor, dressed like uh, uh, Chris Lee is dressed in the original Wicker Man. Mm -hmm. And sitting at the diner, I don't know if you recognised him, but Aaron Eckhart sitting at the diner having a burger. Mm. And Aaron Eckhart had an unbroken record at the time of being in all his films. So I genuinely think it was just so he could put his two mates in a film... But not the opening scene. And and also a completely unnecessary scene. Nothing happens in that scene. Absolutely nothing. Uh, What happens next? Uh, A lot uh, Mm. happens all of a sudden. So he stopped a mother and child in their car. He's a motorcycle cop um, because they're precocious little girl uh, has thrown her doll out of the window, uh, something that uh, she ultimately repeats the action, uh, which ends in her fiery death. Or does it? Um, I think we'll resolve that question at the very end of this show in, like, the most preposterous plot point in the whole... I mean, I'll be impressed if you can resolve it, because I couldn't bloody resolve when I was oh, watching it. Like, I, what I mean by that is how the fucking film resolves it, because there is, there is no way to resolve it. It's the most inexplicable thing, because throughout this movie, through the visions he has, we are <laughs> we're, we're sort of left sort of trying to work out if that mother and child were in the car when it exploded, even though they were. And I love the way you say throughout this film because, again, they keep showing that same bloody sequence mm. again and again and again. Mm. This is his PTSD, <laughs> isn't it? The, the, like, oh, the, the idea God. is... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Neil Abute says of this opening, because off the, off the back of this accident and the trauma it causes him, where you know he stops the car and gets hit by the truck and 
two people either do or don't die. <laughs> Neil Butte says it allowed us to add some additional things to the story, uh, as in because he's on these pills, what was real and what was unreal. Rather than it being straight up, this guy seems steadfast and always says his prayers. He's on the up and up all the time. No, this guy has been through some trauma. And therefore, with medication and all that, you can afford yourself some lateral movement in terms of what's real and what's not. Mm. That, and that's not a bad idea. Like I like lots of things that they, lots of the things they changed. I think are interesting changes. I just don't think they work in the film, but they're good ideas. Mm. Yeah, are they? All right, yeah, no, they are. There are... Yeah, well, there'll be more. There'll be more. Um, so enter a friendly female police officer to see if he's okay at his home. And What's they... she called? I didn't find out her name. Forrest. They've all got flowery names. So yep. little clue at the start of the film. All the, all the yeah. sisters have flowery names. Yeah, right, okay. Well, interesting, because uh, she says to him that they never found the bodies uh, in the car, uh, and then uh, she hands him some letters, including one from his ex-fiance, Willow Woodward. So just to be just to be absolutely clear, that's taking the surname of the leading actor from the original film and the first name of Britt Eklund's character in the original film. It's really clever stuff. It's insane! Well, what's Nicolas Cage's character called? Well, Edward, Malice. Edward, so he's Edward, she's Woodward. Yeah. And Malice? So if they had got married, she'd have been... Wait. No, she would have been Willow Willow Malice. But but she's Edward. And um, he's Malice, that's male and phallus combined. I mean, it's really... Some of it isn't that clever going on in this film. Uh, it turns out she wants help finding a missing daughter, Rowan, in a, the most insanely long piece of narration in a film. She starts, she's reading the letter that he's reading, but only on, ca- on screen, her narration of reading the letter continues beyond him finishing the letter, looking at a photo, turning on his computer, Googling Summer's Isle and answering the phone, uh, at which point she is still narrating the letter he put down 20 minutes ago in screen time. Oh, it's a shame. It's a shame Vicky isn't here because she loves a bit of narration, doesn't <laughs> she? She loves, she loves voiceover. <sighs> um, anyway... Uh, he then another sort of perplexing scene where he goes to the police station. Uh, seems unnecessary. Uh, his male counterpart um, is there, and he sort of explains what he's going to do. And this male pa- counterpart basically sort of goes, "Are you sure? I mean, it sounds like a stupid thing to do." Um, mm. In one of the best pieces of advice in the film, mm. he sort of goes, "Don't, don't do this." Uh, you know, she's got. A, she must have a, the, the father of the child. You haven't seen her for years. Probably don't go. I mean, Summer's Isle. What is that anyway? And I just wonder whether at this point they're trying to create an idea that he, like the men like in this world are his friends and this is an early setup for the women being quite oh. off with him because he's quite chummy with this male police officer. Mm. And then uh, the female officer, Forrest, sort of comes in and sticks her head in and he's mm. sort of very dismissive. He goes, you all right? You right? What's up? And you're like, I wonder if this is sort of setting him up as this kind of very sort of right-leaning kind of mm. misogynist. Mm. Maybe. Mm. I did not read that into that scene. No. But I did notice something fun in that police station. There's a missing poster. Did you see the missing poster on the wall? No. It is uh, Neil Howie. 
Edward Woodward from the original Wicker Man. There's a missing poster with his face on it, wow. on the wall. It's just so confusing, though. So is this set around the same time that he went missing I mean, I feel Scotland. like it's more an in-joke than a shared universe, but that would be, they're still looking for him. The, the, the Wickerverse. <laughs> the Wickerverse. Oh. Uh, yeah. Uh, so he decides uh, to go to Summer's Isle. Uh, and uh, just to sort of the button on that scene, it's the weirdest end to that scene. Because the other police officer goes, Summer's Isle. Like it's funny. Like it's a funny name. And then the scene cuts to him on the ferry uh, where he has a hallucination. <laughs> so you want a jump scare. And a jump scare, by Neil Labute's own admission, he's like, they wanted to put jump scares in this. And a jump scare can be anything with the right piece of music. You could throw a cat onto screen mm-hmm. and play the right piece of music. People are going to jump because it's set up as a jump scare. <laughs> and he, he tests that to the nth degree by having a jump scare which involves an articulated lorry driving <laughs> along the deck of a fucking ship. <laughs> the, the, the girl is wearing red, though. Did you not think there was a bit of a don't look now motif yes. in, in the fact that he keeps yeah. seeing this, this ghostly red apparition? I guess so. Which <laughs> you wouldn't know if you haven't seen it, but yeah. it's a don't look now motif. Don't shame me. <laughs> Don't shame me for not having seen Don't Look Now. I'm waiting for us to do it on the pod. So do look, do look now. Where are you? Uh, where are you emotionally at this point in the film, Paul? Are you oh. are you sold on this opening, or are you already bored? Absolutely not. I mean, it's it's, it's almost words fail me. The, I think the biggest problem with the film, with mm-hmm. with this film, is the direction by Neil Labute. Um, he's obviously not into horror but he's taking one of the sacred horror works and remaking it with not an ounce of passion for the genre. (laughs) So none of the scares work. Nothing works about this film. It doesn't work as a drama. It definitely doesn't work as a horror. It just doesn't work. I, I, it's one hour, 45 minutes long. And I, 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 if it had been an hour and a half, I'd have literally argued that, Maybe it got to the point where they just didn't have enough stuff. Mm. So they kept everything in it. Like they ran every scene from the minute he called action to the minute he called cut. Because scenes start way earlier than they should do. Yeah. They they start with characters like an example being the school teacher when she goes, come outside and talk to me. Mm. That should cut to them being outside. It cuts with her already outside and him walking out the door, walking right up to her. And then their conversation starts. And I'm like, were you short of footage? Yeah, the the editing is really bad, isn't it? Throughout. Um, right. So <laughs> let's crack on with him getting a flight to uh, the thing off a grumpy seaplane pilot. Uh, and then we get this wonderful uh, line, which uh, I'm, go- I'm just going to play you now because I'm not doing impressions of Nicolas Cage <laughs> in this because there's no point because it's just so brilliant. It's, it, it's the first genuine laugh in this movie, uh, which isn't meant to have laughs in it. Or we don't know. What's in the bag? A shark or something? <laughs> <laughs> I know what's in the bag. <laughs> do you really? I do because uh, I mean, not in the film, but on the set, I know what was in the bag because they say on the commentary. Right. Ooh. Any guesses? Uh, uh, Ro- uh, Robin some, Hardy. Some honey. <laughs> I don't know. Is that your best guess is Robin Hardy right, and fine. some honey. Uh, <laughs> God, a, a child, a trapped child. Close. It's a dwarf in a wetsuit. What? Well, then why didn't they show that? Yeah, that'd be great. Because they wanted to keep a sense of mystery. <laughs> but, okay. but it's just, it's bewildering. Like, <laughs> why is it bleeding? 
Why is the bag bleeding? Well, don't you think they're trying to do what the the original film did by putting all these strange things that just set you, get your mind racing and put you off kilter? Yeah. 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 Confuse you. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I got that. Um, He goes to stay at uh, the inn in the town and uh, meets uh, Sister Beach, a barmaid. Um, I have a question about this scene because initially she's very cold towards him until he asks for some mead. And she seems completely thrilled that he's going to have this yep. this mead. And Willow, who's arrived at the same time, looks thrilled to see him until he drinks the mead. And she sees him drink the mead and she's like, oh, fuck, he's drunk the mead. Yep. He, drinks, he drinks it in one as well, almost, doesn't he? He's like, drinking it. Drinking and, it back. Any thoughts? No, not really. <laughs> um, you, have you got well, maybe it's something to do with the whatnots <clears throat> in the mead, because that's what mead is filled with. Right. Yeah. Um, honey herbs and whatnots. Well, it's all through the bees again, isn't it? It's the it's a bee drink. Is it? I mean, should he be drinking honey? No, because he's allergic, isn't he? <laughs> I, th- I, I think I think you can. No, you can. You can't. Right, have, yeah. You can't have honey. I just. Yeah. I'm just. I'm just putting it out there yeah. because there's a lot of strange emotions. I feel, in that I feel room. like you've spent too much time analysing this film because now you're giving out misinformation yourself, uh, <laughs> much like this film does. If you are allergic to bees, please enjoy your honey. We're not saying stop eating honey. Are you saying that? Don't he, eat it from the source. Are though. you saying that he's allergic to bees? Because I re- it really doesn't come across in the film. They don't mention it every blooming <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> it's like you won't. If a character is allergic to bees, you only have to say it once. Yeah, we've got it. What it is, Chris, it's foreshadowing. We spoke about that for the for the original uh, the Wicker Man podcast we did last time. So it's all about foreshadowing. But you only have to do it once. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, I wrote, I wrote down. It's uh, labouring the point. He kills a bee. He's allergic to bees, and they make honey on this island. It involves bees. I wonder if these two things might come into play <laughs> later. Mm, bee helmets. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Willow, who at this point uh, is just the best at leaving notes, uh, leaves him another note in his bedroom that he finds and then she narrates as he's walking to a meeting with her where she could relay the very same information that she's left in a fucking note for him. Uh, and it's... Uh, it's I, I, uh, I find her a troubling character in this because I, in, every, in every, each scene, she never finishes a sentence. And I, I get the idea that it's mystery... <laughs> But he seems to make huge assumptions uh, about what she's telling him without her saying anything, and it's infuriating to watch. That's interesting. I didn't, I didn't spotted that, but I guess that was an artistic choice. You know, is that is that him not listening to women and and just talking oh. over them and and not paying any attention? Vicky, Vicky, <laughs> what what do you think, Vicky? <laughs> Vicky, help, help. it's fine. We haven't even got to that stuff yet. Uh, I, I I genuinely believe there is a possibility she might open a wormhole in this room and stick her head through just to have an opinion on the matriarchy on this island. We'll find out. Um, so he gets back to his room. God. They're not going to leave this uh, self-help tape subplot alone because there's one thing missing from his bag. It's his self-help tapes. What, what, what thoughts? I honestly don't know what that's meant to mean. Is it meant to mean, is it they're trying to reinforce the fact that he might be going crazy because he doesn't have his self-help tapes that he just bought at the start of the film? <laughs> now, I'm not sure if that was in my... Did you, I watched the director's cut of this. Right. Have I seen a different version of this film to you two? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure I was. Watched... My 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 version was about ninety minutes long as well, not an hour and forty seven minutes. Yeah, yeah, and, and I know I know the endings are different. So um... oh, which oh. which is like the echo of the original Wicker Man with the various different versions. Mm, exactly, exactly. Same. Yeah, it's yeah. Like yeah all I did these... say that in the because it was obviously a PG thirteen, wasn't it, in, on its original release in the yeah. states. It, 
all horrors should not be a PG thirteen. They should be R rated. Obviously, they were going for you know the yeah you, the kid market. But. I, yeah, I think you might have missed some good stuff at the end. We'll talk. We'll get. We'll yeah, talk about when we get to yeah. it. But so I don't. I don't think I saw the self help tapes. No, uh, I didn't. Stuff, Alex. No. Okay. Well, uh, trust me. I, I, <laughs> if I was going to make something up from this movie, it wouldn't be that his self help tapes <laughs> are missing. Um, so. <laughs> Then, because <laughs> I guess because it's a horror movie, uh, in, in in part, he goes to investigate a barn, and a piece of floor gives way, and he's suspended over a crate of pitchforks. Did you see this bit? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Okay. Okay. Another waste of time, wasn't it? Yeah, that felt like very much padding. Yeah, didn't it? it's, it's, it's padding because it doesn't really go anywhere, and it's it's designed to up the suspense, I guess, and the and the scares, but it doesn't do it either. Doesn't does it? Uh, in any way, shape, or form. It's, I, I mean, and again, we're talking about the score, and the score there is just so oh. like, it's just like, da, 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 pitchforks below him, and you're like, oh, it's, oh, yeah. oh. all right. Um, so then he's got the same plot point as the original film, the photos of the Harvest Festival with the yeah. final photo missing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he, he meets uh, the teacher, and instead of a beetle, in the desk, uh, a crow. Yes, uh, is in the flies desk. out. Yeah, in a shock moment. It's, uh, it's more showy and more spectacular, and not nearly as disturbing. Not no. even approaching as messed up as yeah. the original. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nicholas Cage's response in that moment as the crow flies out is what? <laughs> <laughs> it's is a, 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 a great way uh, of dealing with that. He then does follow that up with a quite a great line. Oh no, I've lost it. Oh, it's gone. It's gone. He, he he. What he says is, "Why would you let them do a sick thing like that?" I'd argue that fitting a crow in a desk is quite difficult because yeah. they're a, a large, strong bird. Yep. So I, I'm not how would saying. You get, how it. would you get a crow in a desk? Log flume. I'd put it in. A, I'd convince it that it was going on a great journey, and put it in a tiny mini log flume that I'd assemble, right. and I'd be like, "You're going to love this." And the crowd be like, gah, 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 gah. "Yeah, I love this." And then I'd just set it on its way, and then at the very end, as it thought it was going to hit the splash zone, it'd go whoomph, straight into the desk. I'd close the lid and be like, "Never get on a log flume that I've designed, crows." Not bad. Not bad. The How correct about... answer is drugged milk, like beer Baracus. Everyone knows that. About, That's right. how you get anywhere. Paul ever put a crow in a desk? Not recently. No. 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 Any any tips for any uh, any crow fondlers out there? <laughs> the crow fondlers. Yep. No. She, the, te- the teacher <laughs> mentions. Uh, I think she's teaching something from Don Quixote in this scene, yes. and um, that's actually from Tony Schafer's original Wicker Man script that didn't make it into the original film. Oh, so no real reason again for a lo- like a lot of the things here. I mean, it's a nod to something that no one would know, and um, yeah, pointless. Uh, he does find out at this point that Rowan is dead. Uh, Sister Rose, the teacher, tells him. Uh, she's <laughs> in, a, in a wonderful exchange. Uh, she goes, uh, she's dead. It was an accident. And he says, tell me what you mean. And she goes, it was an accident. And he goes, what happened? She goes, she burned to death. And he goes, what do you mean? <laughs> and she quite rightly says, precisely what I meant. She burned to death. I'm, I'm not sure how... I don't know what you've not understood by she burned to death. But what do you mean she burned to death? <laughs> Fire? Uh, the classic burning? But that's the scene where she says it differently twice, doesn't she? I don't think so. Sister Rose, the first, that's why he's questioning it. She says, he says, what happened to her? And she says, she'll burn to death. And then he says, what happened? 
And she says she burned to death. Oh, does she? So she changes the tense. Uh oh. Yeah. I didn't realise that, and I'm not convinced because that that's quite good. <laughs> um, uh, you can be convinced because I went back and rewatched it with the subtitles on to make sure I'd heard it right. So it's quite clever. Yeah. But how long after the movie came out did they put those subtitles on, and how much work has been gone gone into those <laughs> subtitles to convince people that it's a better scene? Than it no, because is. I saw it as well. I heard it. Okay. I heard it. All right. I'm not questioning your hearing, Chris. I didn't. I think we should all stick to the... I think we should all be on Sorry? the same team with this. Sorry. Good. Uh, then he meets uh, Sister Rose again, who's not Sister Rose on a bike. The woman who looks exactly... Oh, no, sorry. Uh, just before that, he meets a, girl, a woman farming, and he says, didn't I just talk to you because she's the same actress who plays Sister Rose? Mm. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's the, there's a twin thing going on on the island. There's a series of twins all over yeah. the island. Yeah. But not at the end, when it would be really good to see Sister Rose with her twin sister, where they're all gathered around the Wicker Man. They haven't, they haven't sprung the budget no, no, to, uh, to, do, to do that. He said that he spent ages working, and even on set they were working on having it in a continuous take, where he talks to Molly Parker as Sister Rose, and then he goes round the corner and she's meanwhile runs round gets changed and she can be there and after a while he said everyone turned to him and said why are we doing this? <laughs> and he said I realised that there was no point and we could just cut to a different scene and did they go sorry we mean the remake in, in general <laughs> very good um, uh, so then oh god uh, it's it's worth it. Stick with me because I'm sighing a lot because, it, it, like you said at the very start, Paul, there is a point where all of this like kicks into gear. And yeah. You're like, okay. Yeah. It's almost like the the movie is testing us uh, at this point to see whether uh, you stick with it. Um, he finds out that he's Rowan's father, which is a big deviation from the original. Uh, I'm going to come out and say it. I don't mind hmm. the fact that this is his daughter. I think his reaction... Hmm is a little too like, oh, you should have told me. I'd be livid um, yeah. if if she kept this from me initially. And and now, since I've been back in touch with her, she just hadn't revealed that. Mm, I agree. I think, you know, that's, that's one of the few good plot shifts from the original. So he's, he's bonded to the island by blood, is the point here. Bonded by blood. And, and it means that um, this plot has been going on for like the best part of seven or eight years. And that's dark, you mm. know? Mm. It's, it, do you know what it reminded me of? Get Out. You know, the idea yeah. that uh, the daughter in Get Out brings uh, mm. uh, Daniel Kaluuya. And yeah. He's been doing it mm. for... Playing the long game. Yes, yeah. Um, so he tries to use the plane radio that's in the dock. He goes down to the dock. And this is the first time in, in the film that it does something really... Uh, of all the things that are just like bad, this I find insulting to the audience, which is the fact that it's it's the horror cliche where he doesn't have a signal. Now I don't have a problem with that in in modern day horror making. I mean, you you must you yeah. be aware of this in so many of the films that you, uh, you put on at Fright Fest. It kind of has to be done because yeah, everyone has a mobile. Yes, exactly. You have to say, oh, we're in an area where it doesn't work or whatever, whatever. Hmm. Or my batteries are low. So it's it's an acceptable trope of horror. I just here are a list of just a handful of the movies that uh, that use that we don't have a phone signal. Jeepers Creepers, Vacancy, The Hitcher remake, Dead End Detour, Eden Lake, Friday the Thirteenth remake, The Mist, The Ruins, The Hills of Eyes remake, Vacancy Two, Cabin Fever, House of the Dead, Identity, Eight Legged Freaks, Saw Five, Last House on the Left remake, Donkey Punch, Black Sheep, Wrong Turn, Quarantine, Wrong Turn Two, Dead End, The Hills of Eyes Two, Jeepers Creepers Two. All of those have a moment where someone wow. goes. 
Ah, we don't have any signal. You're genuinely better off listing horror films for the last 10 years that don't have a moment. Right. Because there's less. Again, I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem that in this day and age, like, at what point has a phone which has no signal ever gone beep, 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 beep. It's just, it says what that says is like it's not enough to have him open his phone and look at it and emote that he has no single signal. The film has to have a bleeping sound that no phone ever makes ever when it's no signal. And the whole thing's so unnecessary because I've suspended my disbelief. This this um this society and this island is set in, is is living in the past effectively. Yeah. I don't think it even needed it in the first no. place. No. It's just taken for granted that they wouldn't have, you know, a, 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 yeah. a, a mobile phone a tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, I mean, it's established. <laughs> it's established in the very first scene when he talks to his, uh, like the third scene when he talks to his cop mate, and he, the cop mate goes, "If you tried to call," and he goes, "You'll never guess." There's no phone yeah. signal. Yeah. yeah, I'm done on yeah. the island. Exactly, yes. I'm good. I'm yeah. good again. But like he, the bee, like the bees, they do it about three times. But, he's, but he suddenly gets the signal later in the film, doesn't he? Yeah, out of the film. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting point. So I think the reason they've done that is to sort of ratchet up the art, uh, this idea, the tension. Well, that he might be rescued. Oh, because it's that thing right. that if if okay. I think it's Pete, his his cop friend, mm. where he goes, Pete, Pete, and then it starts bloody bleeping again. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, and yeah. it's the idea it that in the final scene when he's in the Wicker Man. You know, the cavalry might arrive because Pete got that message at just mm. the right moment. Right, yeah, yeah. Mm. So that's not a bad moment, but every other bit with a beep, 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 no signal. I'm a phone, no signal. Unnecessary. Um, get a bit on a jetty where he finds a floating girl under the jetty, and uh, Neil LeBute gets to play with this idea of what's real and what's not. And we get another priceless cage reaction when he wakes up from a dream and he's holding the dead body of his daughter. He goes, God damn it! It's just. <laughs> But it's it, but it's two dreams, isn't it? It's a dream within a dream. A dream within a dream. And I, I think you've got to be careful with these things because you you only get one shot at doing something like that. And and I think it's overused in this film because once the audience doesn't trust you, doesn't trust the hands of the filmmaker they're in, then mm. those those moments don't work anymore. And by this point, I've had enough of them. Yeah. And so to stick a dream in a dream, I'm already like got my arms folded and like yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, we then get to meet. Um, Dr. Moss, uh, who is the island photographer and uh, storer of dead babies in jars of formaldehyde. Uh, I um, I struggled with this bit. I don't know what who what. There's an entire uh, subplot which I haven't even really referenced in this because I don't understand it. Which is who those babies are, what happens to a lot of the men on the island, why the men are all deformed. What's the inbreeding yeah. subplot? Yeah, it's it, no, it's an afterthought, and and the way that I, you know, I I basically read out the information twice when I was going through the original film because it's given to you so clearly in the Wicker Man. If you're really listening, it's it's fully explained to you what's happening in here. They just don't bother. There's throwaway comments, as you mm-hmm. say. There's there's imagery, disturbing imagery, but none of it really adds up to anything that's particularly coherent. Could so there's because uh, the men can't speak. No. They, uh, they. There's a scene where one is covered in bee stings. I start to wonder whether the beekeepers are all the men, but then I thought no, because they're actually that's quite a good job on the island looking after the bees. So are you talking about the guy that was lying in the bed? Yes, that's. So he was uh, genuinely an extra working on the film, and that's all him. Right. He had he had these marks on his body, and he had a missing eye, and they said, actually, (laughs) come here, mate. We can actually use you somewhere else in this film, and. He got a bit of a pay bump and he got, he got his mm. face on camera. Uh, there's a, another, uh, just 
a wonderful scene here that just tells you so much uh, uh, about this movie. Um, Nicolas Cage leaves the doctor's house um, and offers to help a man load some wood onto a cart and it falls off. End scene. Um, well, the idea there, though, is that those are the logs that are used to break his legs later yeah. on. And so he's effectively assisting with his own demise unwittingly. Yep. Oh, OK. That's yeah. better than I thought. Mm. I was just like, I thought it was to emphasise this idea that the men don't speak because he tries to speak to one of the men. That's happening too, but oh. there's there's two two things are happening at the same time. Um, then we get uh, the first uh, big bee scene. Now, just to walk you through this, Nicholas Cage is allergic to bees. If he gets stung, he might die. He carries an EpiPen in case of such an event. So he's walking with his bike and he sees loads of beehives surrounded by a billion bees and does not immediately stop and turn round. He carries on walking at speed. Because he's looking at those bees, he accidentally rams his bike into a hive of more bees. <laughs> it happens. So I tried to realise this in my own way, because obviously I have a terrifying fear of sharks. So this is like me being on a boat, seeing a school of shark fins in the water, still getting into the water, and while looking at those sharks, accidentally swimming into a hive full of sharks. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's having a bad day. He's having a bad day. Uh, yeah, and then it just gets worse because even when he's then he he's being attacked by those bees and he doesn't run back the way he's come. Bees tend to stick around their hives, and he runs into the field of hives, banging into more hives. Uh, you know, this is. The reason I mention this is because this is the moment when I decided in this movie, this is like one hour into this film where I went, all right, I'm in. I'm in. You've broken me down to the point where I am now not looking for anything other than how hilariously ridiculous this film is. And it's the, it's simultaneously the moment that the film does the same thing. It and- goes, it goes, all right, we've done that bit. None of us really enjoyed it. <laughs> it's party time. Yes, exactly. It's also making me think we should have paired this with Vicky's favourite, My Girl. <laughs> Death by Bees. Yeah, the B-double. Uh, we get to meet Ellen Burstyn, uh, uh, Sister Summers Isle at this point. Thoughts on Ellen Burstyn? She's a, a horror uh, icon, really. Yeah, I mean, she was okay in it, but the sequences between her and Nicholas Cage, I mean, the way Nicholas Cage plays them with her is just... He's just terrible, isn't he? Just terrible. Yeah, I like it. And the it. framing, the, that weird frame of that, that sequence where they're talking, which just mm. goes on forever. And it's he's like stooped. It's just really odd. Really odd. Yeah, she's horror royalty because uh, of The Exorcist. Right. Um, a they... fact that Neil Butte is very proud of. He, he makes a point at a Q&A I watched where he goes, and obviously there's an Exorcist connection there <laughs> yeah. between this and The Exorcist. Yeah. The two other actresses they considered were Catherine Deneuve and Charlotte Rampling. Okay, but when they realised they could get Ellen Burstyn, she's who they wanted, and and they were saying that how they feel about her in this film, the the director and the producer, is that she's like Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now, in that you hear about her, everyone's talking about her, but you don't meet her for an hour, and then she kind of um has this presence. I don't know if she's up there with old Brando and Colonel Kurtz, but I, I do, I, I I like her in this role. Yes. I do. Yeah. Because she actually she she annoys me and frightens me in equal measure, which is I think what she's supposed to do. Yeah, it's and it's it's an interesting way of doing it because obviously in the original, I mean, I get. Is it a problem that she is so confrontational? 
Because, I mean, she's in the Christopher Lee role. And the mm. brilliant thing about Christopher Lee in the original, he's, he's, he kind of sort of smothers in with charm. Uh, Edward Woodward, he's like, mm. and you, you're sort of, you're disarmed because this guy's really cool about it, really like, look, you've got your own ideas, we got our ideas, cool, can we not just get along? And she's really like, she's angry and armfoldy and confrontational. Mm. Well, it's because she's a woman. Right. And they get angry with men, don't they? Well, we do learn a little bit uh, about that. Now, Vicky? No, nope, nothing, not yet. No, I thought I saw <laughs> a, quiet this week. A, a flicker of a time tunnel opening. Um, so... She uh, she talks about how her Celtic ancestors came to the island and rebelled against the suppression of the feminine. Uh, she does love men, but she's not subservient to them. Uh, men, she says, are used for breeding. Nicholas Cage snorts and goes, inbreeding, more like. Um, and then he asks quite a pertinent question, which is what happens if someone is a boy and is born on this island? And again, it's just one of those answers where you go, I'd quite like to, I'd quite like you to allude to something yeah. here. But she just goes, it depends. It's like, yeah. On what? So is that who's in the jar, though? The is boys. that a bunch of baby yeah. boys? Must be. Must be. Yeah. Could be. But, but who, are the, who are the men on the island then? <laughs> well, this is the thing. It's They're so- breeding. If they need men for breeding, they've got to breed men. But then why are they going, why are they setting off to then, like, get, like, it sounds like a tradition where women leave the island to breed with someone like Nicolas Cage and yes. then come back to the island and give birth to their, their, that offspring. Hence, so, hence the coda at the end. Mm, which isn't it? Is, is not yeah. in my version of the film, but we will oh, get to that. Okay. Um, so uh, then he discovers the doll uh, on uh, the, uh, in the grave. Um, uh it's 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 presumably the doll from the start that the girl threw in the road. Oh that, yeah, maybe. Then, but again, this feels like one of those stuck-on action horror sequences, like the barn one, which it doesn't really go no, anywhere. It just doesn't work. It's it. there to prolong proceedings and make us feel we're watching an action horror film when actually we aren't really. Well, we, we are, but not a very good one. Uh. <laughs> Then, I mean, I, I was looking for the clip just then. Of, you can do the impression. How do you get burned? There we go. How do you get burned? How do you get burned? Uh, yeah. I've never seen Alex not do his impression, so he's, <laughs> he's, he's embarrassed in front of you. It's not. It's because I refuse to compete with how brilliant yeah, Cage's yeah. delivery <laughs> is in this movie. I can't do it justice because it's so off kilter. Yeah. Um, Great. So we've got, uh, uh, he goes inside Somerville's house. Uh, he finds a deformed man in bed covered in bee stings, which he talked about. A naked woman with a vast beard of bees. It's a bit, it's a beard, it's a beard, bikini, and it's a bee beard and bikini. No, I mean, I, I, as, as two fans of horror and a horror aficionado, do you think he was playing this for a scare at this point? Is it because Nicolas Cage reacts like this is a horrifying image? Uh, but a grinning woman with a beard of bees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've seen that in Looney Tunes cartoon. Yes, <laughs> it doesn't work, does it? <laughs> no, none of that's scary. No, no, that's not scary. And, and the next scene, if where anything, it's a talent to be celebrated. You're like, I, I, if he opens, it, if you opened a door and saw a, a naked woman with a beard of bees, you'd be like. Mm. Fucking well, and also, yeah. I'll be honest. I got confused because I think she looks like that woman I thought looked like Lily Sobieski the first time I saw her. So I thought that was that woman, but then it's not that woman because she's back in a minute in, in a different capacity. So okay, I, I just found it confusing. Find people that look different. Mm. 
so you got summer all under the bed sheets though the silk bed sheets in uh, in a, a in what looks like a junket room that if you ever interview Jennifer Lopez in the <laughs> noughties, it would have been done out like that <laughs> I, I, genuinely she used to deck her uh, her ho- the hotel rooms for her junkets were like billowing white sheets like satin sheets from the walls and it was like you were walking into some sort of strange interpretation of heaven I remember doing it for Made in Manhattan and just going what the fuck is this room (laughs) but uh, this was supposed to be a five page scene here between um, Howie and Summersile um, but Cage decided it wasn't necessary. And it's interesting on the commentary, you hear that he had a lot of control over this film, being a producer, being a passion project for him. He changed a lot and, and, and had had made a lot of the big decisions. But he said that when he got on the set and he was in the headspace of Malice, he realised that he would just pull out his gun and put it to the head of Summersile until <laughs> she gave back the kid. He said it wouldn't make sense for him just sit here chatting at this point. Mm. So he completely cut that scene. And that's why he uses his gun in a similar way in the next scene. Unfortunately, it ends up being funny. Yeah. Um, uh, I just I just deleted my um, step away from the bike scene for some reason. Well, you can do it now if you like. Step away from the bike. Just pulling a gun on someone on a bike. So again, on the commentary, they say that, well, that was meant to be funny. And I think it was. I mean, it is a funny line. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's before Nicolas Cage made Drive Angry, but if you could call this film Ride Angry because he is good. He is cycling. There you go. He is cycling. It's uh, a nice touch that it's a it's a um, it is a woman's bike uh, yep. that he's riding as well. It doesn't look so he's ever ridden a bike in real life though, or not for many many years. He's kind of stumbling around with it, and yeah, which I'm, which would be acting because he's a he's a motorbike guy, isn't he? Yeah, he knows yeah. what he's doing. Have you ever interviewed Nicolas Cage? No. Have you not? No. You? Uh, yes. Yeah, I once, uh, weirdly, it was just for a radio interview for my breakfast show mm. uh, back on XFM back in the day. And um, and it was for the movie Knowing, you know, the Alex oh. Proyas oh, yeah. uh, movie. Yeah. How could I forget? Um, and it was just really, like, he was, uh, he was so bored. Like, uh. everything, like, anything about Knowing, I was sort of asking him a question. He was like, uh, you know, no, 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 no. And, um, and then I... I we got onto the subject of dinosaurs and he was like, he just suddenly sprung to life. He was like, do you know that um, a chicken shares exactly the same DNA as a Tyrannosaurus Rex? And it was the most animated he'd been during the whole interview. I love it. And we just talked about dinosaurs. Uh, Lovely. Our favourite dinosaurs. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I know a few people that have worked with him and made movies with him, and everyone seems to enjoy his company. Yeah. He's eccentric and fun, and people seem to be genuinely excited to work with him and have enjoyed the experience. Apparently, I mean, uh, my friend, our friend, Richard Stanley, mm. with, with Colour Out of Space, which Nicholas was obviously in, um, he said he was fantastic. Yeah. You know, he just does it on cue. The rage is there, but then cut. Then he can do it again. Yeah. Just... Just really professional. You sound really, like really a cool guy. guy. Yeah, I, lo- but I, I, I love. I love the. You must have. Have you seen the Wogan when he was promoting Wild at <laughs> Heart? Yeah, and he yeah. does the yeah. the the sum the, the the cartwheel or what? No, the what do you call it? Forward roll. Like a yeah, yeah, roly poly, yeah, roly poly, kung fu kid, <laughs> and then oh, starts throwing wads of cash into the audience, <laughs> like loads of money. Cocaine is a powerful drug. Just throw it into the audience, and then Terry, uh, uh, my snakeskin jacket, Terry Wogan, <laughs> Nicholas Cage, like and sits down, and Terry Wogan goes, and the word of the day is understated. <laughs> like, good, good man, good, yeah. It's just, it's the craziest thing. I, I'm a huge 
Cage fan. I, yeah. I, I think I think he's just a fantastic actor who takes a role and just t- turns it into something completely different. I mean, especially you're sort of like the kind of you know, a Michael uh, Bay action hero role, like The Rock, and just turns him into this like mm. eccentric character. It's it's great. Yeah, he's yeah. good. Don't, don't talk too much about The Rock yet. Oh yeah, that's in our future, surely. Of course, that's Cage in our future. Always eminently watchable. Mm. Without a doubt. And like you mentioned earlier, Mandy. Oh, yeah. it's horrible, but it's brilliant. Yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, right then, back to this, uh, which I <laughs> well, think... We're near, we're near the end, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Um, uh, I love the bit. Uh, I'm just going to play this bit because uh, it, it doesn't make any sense to actually play it audio, but I, it's one of the clips that I loaded up. So you're just going to... It's him running into a room and then running out again, having demasked some children. Hey, take those masks off. <laughs> it's funny for me because I'm watching it. It probably doesn't work. Audio-wise. <laughs> um, you, you two couldn't even see that. That was just me in my own little world watching YouTube. Here we go. Um, we get to the climax uh, then. Uh, he's dressed as a bear uh, at this point because the punch costume from the original has been replaced uh, with a bear costume that he's going to use as a disguise in the pr- procession. There is actually some logic to this. Hmm. Um because uh, Neil Abute says, uh, I was trying to find an equivalency to the wonderful kind of punch outfit that they'd got the guy running around in in the original. There's almost no way to top that. It was such a great, great series of costumes in the original movie. I actually think that he should have paid very much attention to that sentence. There's actually almost no way to top that. Uh, but nevertheless, he has. Uh, it's the Northwest uh, with this very rural background. What kind of costumes would they actually have for a festival like this? It made sense. They've just gutted a bear and literally put the whole fucking thing on. <laughs> well, bears like honey, you know, classically in, in uh, Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Uh, that's a real, it's a real bear hide that he's wearing. All right. Um, and Nicolas Cage actually was very keen to wear that full outfit for the rest of the film. He didn't want to take it off again. Well, you can tell because there's a stupid nice. moment where he takes everything off but the, the bare feet. The feet stay and on. And he's walking along. The feet stay on. Oh, my God. And, and he said, you know, that is, you know, very purposeful because he wanted to make um, Malice even more pathetic. He wanted to just become more and more and more pathetic. He went from, you know, being very smart in his suit, trying to impress his ex, to, you know, ending up with a pair of bare feet on. Yeah. Literally walking barefoot. Brilliant. Brilliant. What's a joke. Yep. I know, I got it. It's sort of the equivalent of... It's, it's, uh, to me, it's the equivalent of keeping your socks on uh, when you're... you and, know, and of course which the, we all do. And, of course, the bear suit is brilliant foreshadowing for Midsommar, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Which, obviously, they, you know, they utilise that motif. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, they've killed the harbour pilot at this point, uh, they, and they've taken his hand, although we never do get the hand of glory uh, moment, despite the fact he's missing Ooh. a hand. Um, and then... Uh, yeah, it's the, it's the climax. Well, it's... you've you've brushed past him punching three women. He does. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Vicky said we should probably not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Dangerous territory. Yeah. I mean, it. I don't know. Do we do? Do you have anything to add to that other than the fact that it's kind of hilarious in how outrageous it is? Mm. It's it is it's fundamentally funny because you're sort of going, well, what's what's going yeah. on? What's happened to him? Like. Yeah, and and the way uh, the way uh, Lily Sobieski um, flies across the room into mm. the wall and stuff, it feels like it's played like for laughs. It feels like it's, sla- it's we're, we're into slapstick territory at this mm. point. That's when he does the karate chick uh, kick and yes. then and then the high kick to the face. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so it's 
the end of the movie. He gets burnt in the Wicker Man. And, um, the, and the bee helmet. Well, as you said, though, uh, three characters from the start of the film show up. Which is... Uh, yeah. So the, the, just to explain, the, the mother and child are in the car yeah. um, who we watch die. And then obviously the police officer, uh, what was her name, Forrest, yep. uh, are both show up. They're both part of it. But then what, what, did, what was that scene at the start then? Like, so... Yes, what was the scene? Because clearly <laughs> two people were in that car and they were in it when it exploded. Yep. So they are fireproof. And and this is when I'm thinking, well, Leboot's going Leboot's gonna to explain this in the commentary. He says, oh, that's a little nod to the beginning of the picture <laughs> uh, and his own sanity regarding what happened on the road uh, that day. So maybe it didn't happen. <sighs> right, okay. Maybe it's all a dream. Maybe he doesn't die. Yeah. Maybe it is all Maybe a dream. Maybe still alive. Maybe there was a deleted scene where he wakes up at the end and goes, oh. So the um, theatrical the theatrical cut, which I don't know if you guys saw or not, uh, was the PG-13 version of it where they cut his legs being broken. Oh, mm-hmm. right, yeah. And they cut uh, the bees stinging him on his head. Mm. That was removed and, and Libute said, I had to fabricate that all using voiceover. He said it was a real struggle. Um... And so I can't imagine watching this without... I mean, I just saw this director's cut that, that you see, the very graphic breaking of his legs. Which and all is, the beat, gr- all which the is great. Yeah. I, I did see that version. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I think uh, the problem is, like, you know, I mean, it's not a great movie, I think, as we've established over the course of this episode. Uh, however, th- there are certain things in it that people mock. Like, one of the moments that was put up on YouTube as a way of mocking this film, right at the very start, is, uh, is this bit where he's on the ground and he says this... Nothing! Killing me won't bring back your goddamn honey! And yeah. that is a direct lift from the original movie. Yep. Granted, it's not delivered with quite such uh, volume and intensity, but it's the same line. And in- within context, he's fine to be that stressed out yeah. and angry and shouting and hysterical. So, yeah, it is easy to laugh at bits of this film taken out of context. Mm. Easier than when you actually watch it within context. But, um... But in terms of the actual the burning in the Wicker Man, um, it's just it's just a little bit underwhelming as well. It's just not shot with the same skill no, that Hardy no. does it. That beautiful sunset happening in the background. It's yep. although there is something to be said for uh, the bit where he's begging his own daughter to not light the yes, the, right. the bonfire at the bottom. That change is quite good. Especially as she has this quite serene smile on her face while she's doing it. Yeah. She's not holding a lit flame, by the way. That's CGI. He said they weren't allowed to uh, <laughs> give a child a lit flame like that. But I, just, um, I find it, I, the, the performance I struggle with is that of Willow uh, yes. in this final scene because she seems to go just like... I, I, in the in the defence of that performance, let's just say that like she is dealing with a script that is a bit wishy washy and a, a, a tone that is all over the place. So, uh, you know, it is forgivable. But she ranges uh, from second to second, frame to frame, between being absolutely mortified that this is happening to Nicolas Cage, and and then like also like she's taken so much acid that she's not even there. It's really strange, isn't it? Well, she's supposedly really? having second thoughts and feeling oh. some sadness uh, because. She liked this man. But I, tell you, I just remembered this, you, now you brought it up, that I don't know if it's the editor or the producer, but one of them on that commentary says, 
oh, I didn't like her performance in this scene. I didn't like what she's doing with her face, but I didn't tell her. I made sure I didn't tell her. And Lubut's like, well, she's going to hear it now. You just, <laughs> you just said it on the. She goes, oh no, I like everything else she does, but just in this scene, I really don't think it works. It's really confusing because you, what you want is for at that point her to just be so like stoic and just be like, this is part of the system, which is what she kind of is saying every mm. time she opens her mouth. She's like, this is what happens. We planned this from the start, and then she'll look really mournful and be like, oh, mm. should we be doing this? It's it's very very confusing, mm. and from from that, it's hard to tell if if that was her fault or the or mm. the or the director's fault. But um, and she's not particularly good in the film, though. Either I don't think. You know, she'll hear that. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I'm, I'm all right. Yeah. I mean, scene. you didn't edit it, yeah. so that's fine. Um, <laughs> right then, uh, that's uh, pretty much all I've got. So, who got the coder and who didn't at the end of the film? I got the coder. What's Did the, you get the coder? What's the coder? So, um, so the film doesn't end with the Wicker Man in the theatrical cut. Oh, the film ends um, six months later. Mm-hmm. We're in a bar with a pair of off-duty cops, played by Jason Ritter and James Franco. <laughs> yep. uh, and they meet Sister Willow and Sister Honey. And while Sister Willow goes to the bar with one of the men, Sister Honey asks to go home with the other, clearly setting them up in the same way they set up yep. Edward. What? Which. It's so. I mean, it's amazing. I'm listening to the commentary. I'm thinking, oh well, he'll explain why it's not on this version. And he just said, we cut it. He doesn't say why. <laughs> we cut he doesn't it. say why. So he literally. I mean, it's quite an important. It's like five minutes long, and it's quite an important ending mm. to then get rid. I mean, it was interesting. It's not the yeah. powerful ending that the friggin' Wicker Man ending no, is. You no. know. I think. I think obviously the original Wicker Man, the the cut to the end is so powerful. Yeah. Whereas. The cut, but I didn't hate the cut. No, it's it different. Quite, you know, you but, say you're going to remake it, do it different or better, yeah, and it's different. Yeah. And you know, to show that this is an ongoing, you know, conspiracy happening. Saga. And James Franco's next in the sequel <laughs> in the Wickerverse. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, I, wait, I, I'm sure I saw the same version of you because I saw the leg breaks. I didn't stay past it. I was very keen to get out of there. <laughs> so the minute it goes for Johnny Ramone appears on the screen, I was like, off. Uh, but I watched the director's cut because I saw the leg breaks. Would I have seen that? Yeah, the director's cut doesn't have it in. Oh. It was cut out of the director's cut. This was on the theatrical oh, version. Oh, okay. Which, so it's weird. So we've come full circle then from uh, Neil Butte not really explaining much before the movie was released about what it's meant <laughs> no. to be about uh, to him not explaining why he made any decisions cutting things from the film at the end. Excellent news. Uh, I mean, just uh, just for completion's sake. <laughs> ah, what? Ah, what is it? What is it? What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the beast! Not the beast! Ah! I'm my eyes! My eyes! Ah! Ah! Good. Acting. Hey. Acting. Uh, it seems so <laughs> unnecessary as well. Please. But the fact that they kill him once, uh, they smash his legs and sting him to death and then bring him back to life to burn him. Yep. Uh, there's something about it being a purification ritual, which seems like another thing someone's gone. It was uh, a bad day for Nicholas Sutton. <laughs> it was unnecessary <laughs> killing him once, but uh, it's pure purification. Pure, call it purification. purification. Right, let's do the bits. Uh, unless anyone has any more for any more. No, nah, go for it. Uh, what is... Uh, your best scene, Paul. Um, um, the bee helmet, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which we we didn't see coming. We couldn't see that being foreshadowed in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> um, and just well, there's actually so much that's good about the film, isn't there? In such a bad way, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about it, you, Chris? <laughs> um, 
there was something I didn't see coming that genuinely made me laugh out loud uh, with shock and mirth. And that was uh, the film being dedicated to Johnny Ramone at the end. Yeah. What the fuck? I just didn't see that coming. And it's it's so bizarre. And especially if you, if you don't know the context, you don't know why. It's just, mm. what? Like, why would you dedicate that to him? Mm. So that was impressed uh, well, me. Would he have wanted it dedicated to him? <laughs> He was, he was such a fan of the original yes. film that he invited Nick Cage over, yes. showed it to him. Yeah. And said, and then, don't ever remake this, <laughs> then, Nick. Then he made that travesty, yeah. Nick Cage sort of took it upon himself to go, uh, I see what you're saying here, Johnny. What you're saying is go away, remake this, and dedicate it to you. In a bad way. In a bad way. Um, I think the moment that you find out that Sister Summer Isle is Willow's mum... I like that because it turns this into the ultimate mother-in-law joke, yeah. which I think is quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, but actually, I think the best scene in this film is not a scene in this film, but a YouTube video called Nicolas Cage Losing His Shit. So everyone should just go watch yep. that. Yep. Because that's a masterpiece. Alex, what about it's you? It's also a very funny on YouTube um, comedy trailer where it's re- reworked as a sort of a heartwarming family comedy. They've retaken <laughs> scenes from this. Oh, I'll have to check it out. And it's him, Nicholas Cage, taking over the family honey business that he's had no interest <laughs> in. <laughs> uh, my best scene is the moment he jogs into a room, takes three girls' masks off, and then jogs out again. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it, it, it's, it's just the best joke in the film. Good bit of jogging. Uh, MVW, we'll start with you, Chris, most valuable, whatever. I think Ellen Burstyn's really good. I think she's like, I think her performance is from a much better film. So I'm with her on this one. That's my pick. Paul? Oh, God. Um, the most val- what, the most valuable piece of the film, or the most... Person, actor, performance, prop, oh, it's song. Got, it's got to be Nicholas, isn't it? Yeah. When he, when he bursts into the full, or semi-full, cage, ragey style stuff, at about the 52-minute you know, point, yeah. from there on, you're on a lovely cage roller coaster, aren't you? Yeah, fair enough. And finally, if the oh sorry, I'm going with Paul on this one. Cage as well. I think, like I said at the start, this is when I, 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 you know, you know, my want is to blurt something out before saving it for the moment when I could say it. <laughs> I just think he walks this magnificent line here between taking the piss and not taking a piss, the piss out of a movie he's actually starring in, and no. you're just never sure. And I think it's it's wonderful. Uh, what would you change, Christopher? I mean, I initially went into this saying, thinking I would want to wipe it from existence, but I don't. I did enjoy watching it. Um, I, I found some entertainment in it. So I want to change something that doesn't exist into something that does exist. And so this is a quote from Nicolas Cage. He said uh, a few years ago, he said, I would like to hook up with one of the great Japanese filmmakers, like the master that made Ringu. And I would like to take the Wicker Man to Japan, except this time he's a ghost. Nice. Let's, let's do that. Nice. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. He said that it was. I think it was a Q and A with Empire. He said that, and um, and people started asking Neil Abute about it, and uh, and Neil Abute apparently Nicholas Cage sort of said it with a smile on his face. Is when they wrote that they were like, "There's a wry smile on his face as he's saying that." And Neil Abute was told about it without that explanation. He was like, "That's what I love about Nicholas Cage. You know, he's already thought about what we should do with the sequel." And you're like, oh, "I don't think he has, <laughs> Neil. No, <he> <laughs> I don't think he has." Uh, Paul, what would you change? What I would change, I think, and obviously this um, this film was not press screen, wasn't preview screen to any critics. They kept all the secrets under wraps. So I think they should have changed the ending. I think. Nicholas should have gone into the Wicker Man and then he should have kung fu kicked and punched his way out of the Wicker Man. That would have been a fantastic ending. Unlike in the original where it's inevitable, it's it's yeah. the end, there's nothing you could change about it. This one, he should 
you know, punch his way out, do some karate chops, and that's it. That would be the perfect. What about if for like, me? That would be the perfect. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. What what they should have done was just gone all in. I'll all go out, just like cage explode. Yeah, just you know, if he bursting so, out. If he sort of became some sort of spirit, the Nicholas like Cage, the Wicker God. He and he, be, just, he Nicholas Cage is the Wicker God. Well, he became the Wicker Man. Yes. and he breaks free from his moorings and he tramples round on yeah. fire <laughs> as the Wicker yes. Man, crushing that's, the matriarchy that's beneath that, his feet. Shouldn't, shouldn't, I would pay good money. Go and see. That would be perfect. Shouldn't he fly away on two large eagles? <laughs> as, as referenced on the last show, if you haven't listened to that. Uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm into the wicker, the wicker man coming to life, being powered by Nicolas Cage's cage rage. That's the deal. And stomping through uh, the thing, kicking over beehives, going, "Take that, you damn honey!" <laughs> Great, perfect. Uh, I would uh, change. I, I, I think I feel like I'm the only one who's uh, brought a serious suggestion uh, to the change. Uh, this week. I was being serious. Uh, <laughs> uh, this uh, it's the bit uh, where he swims out to use the the plane uh, radio. He jumps into the water. Uh, uh, we're on the Pacific coast in the US, so geographically this works. Uh, and we've also had the suggestion uh, for this moment set up earlier. I think uh, it would fit in with the Looney Tune logic of this movie and the tone of the film. If there was a shark attack, uh, I'd be yeah. I'd be really up for that. If, yeah, if Nicolas Cage was bothered by a shark as he was swimming out to the plane, the wicker shark, mm. yeah, a wicker shark <laughs> that joined him in his wicker <laughs> battle at the end of the movie. He's a flying wicker shark that he can launch out of his wicker flaming wicker torso in the wicker verse. <laughs> Right then, uh, it's going to be brief. Uh, three, two, one. Let's do the verdict. And don't forget, everyone. This, this, these two podcasts were about the journey, not the destination. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel we've been on a journey. I, I don't yeah. disagree with that. Yeah. You know, in I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. Should I have paired these movies? Let's leave it out there. <laughs> Let's leave it out there. In the I'm ether. sure we'll be told on Twitter. Uh, so tell me, Chris, what are you picking? Um, regarding the wicker cage. Um, I, I do believe that all women are evil and out to get us. And I'm sure if Vicky were here, she would back me up on that. <laughs> Tempting fate. But it is a genuinely uh, bad film. And there really is no reason for it to exist. So I want to quickly just talk about my feelings of The Wicker Man as I feel a lot about this film. I think it is a bit slow, but that stately place draws you in. But I love the way it defies genre and characterization. I love how provocative it is. Uh, the way it sort of directly attacks Christianity, which is quite a tricky thing to do in the 70s. I feel like it's timeless. Summer Isle is a place out of time that didn't seem contemporary in 73 and and doesn't seem particularly out of time now. And paganism is something that's from our past. Um, Stuff like this may may very well have happened, and I feel like that's a primal fear it taps into. Like nursery rhymes do, like fairy tales do, and, and whatever it is, it's sort of generally terrifying. And I also think the best horror films, and I'm going with The Exorcist, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Don't Look Now, The Shining, I think all those films emit a kind of evil that comes off the screen. And I find it deeply upsetting. And The Wicker Man does that better than any film I think I've ever seen, which is why it might be my favourite horror film. Wow. Ooh, that was, was big. He was doing that as if he was on the on the on the pulpit, wasn't he? <laughs> he was. That was a sermon. channeling, preaching, channeling Howie. Big sermon. So you uh, like so you like the original more than the yes. Okay. Right. <laughs> oh, so you were talking about the first. <laughs> right, right. Um, Paul, uh, oh. I, hope, I hope you've written a what a page of dialogue, I've, a page I've of prose. Done very similar. Um, no, it just obviously the Wicker Man, the original, 
unimpeachable. Um, they shouldn't have remade it. I mean, as with any uh, remakes, if you're gonna if you're gonna remake remake something, remake something that's got flaws or whatever, or if you're gonna do do something that's unimpeachable, then then take it in a different direction, do some different stuff with it. Horror remakes can be done brilliantly. The Fly, you know, Cronenberg's The Fly, and um, John Carpenter's The Thing, so it can work. But I think in this case, Neil LeBute was the wrong director with the wrong film. The, the, the original is unimpeachable, and of course, it's the winner. Yep, uh, that's uh, a winner then. Uh, two for two out of three uh, so far. Uh, and as much as it is my uh, desire to be contrary, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I have to. I have to agree. I think I did, for me, it's quite simply like the original Wicker Man is. Uh, it's it's clever and all everything you both just said, but it's also it's it, it's 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 a very set design, which is a setup. And an unexpected punchline, like a joke. And once you've heard that joke, you can't then hear it again. Uh, even if you just swap out some mm. of the references for different references, and it's you know, I mean, if you're calling it. By the way, remember that joke from 1973? I'm going to tell it again. Uh, here we go. You're like, why would you do that? It's it's a film that exists and can only be seen once, so it is unremakeable, and it should never have been remade. Uh, and while there is fun to be had in the remake, it's still like. Slim pickings, yeah. And you need so much booze. So the winner is the original Wicker Man. Hey, great! That is stuff. a shock. Uh, yeah, surprise, surprise. Right then, uh, let's uh, look ahead to uh, next week. Chris, your picks for our next Halloween shows. Our week two of our big Halloween countdown. You gave us a clue on Tuesday. What is the clue? What are the films? Uh, the clue was Idle Hands are the Devil's Workshop. Any any idea, Paul, what those films mm. might be? No idea at all. Idle Is it hand, the 90s Idle movie Idle Hands? No. That's what I th- yes. It's not the 90s movie Idle Hands. That's not a bad movie. The Offspring perform uh, a gig in a school in that movie, which I, mm. I remember watching. Idle hands. What was well, now you're doing that with your hands. Is it something to do with weapons on the hands, like a hook? Is it, Is it urban legend? Elm Street? It is not urban legend. Uh, I don't know what you did last summer with a fisherman's hook. No, um, Alex, I'm giving you Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes, <laughs> I just worked it out because you were doing the knife fingers. <laughs> and Vicky, you can't hear me, but I'm giving you Candyman. Nice. Okay. Nice. Um, That's good. Yes. So... Shall we look even further ahead though? Because our poll closes in 24 hours for what show we're doing in our what pairing we're doing at our very final week of our Halloween countdown. Yeah, we want you to help us, and so we've each picked a pairing, and we want you to choose what we're doing. So Alex has got the Witches versus Hocus Pocus. Looking for your votes. Vicky has got Teen Witch and the Craft. Looking for your votes. Uh, and I've got the Wizard of Oz and Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. So Don't do head Don't to At Clash Pod. And also, just before we go, Paul, you won the quiz on the last show, and oh, yeah. I've got you a gift, and I forgot to give it to you. You won a prize. Oh, so fantastic. are you ready? Yeah, this has never happened before. Wow. Drum roll. Yep. Wow. 
Hey, it's a witch's hat. <laughs> Thank you very much. Perfect, it's a witch's hat. Perfect. We'll take a picture so you can all see Paul in his I was going to say, perfect for radio. <laughs> oh. um, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Clash Pod this week. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, guys. Paul McAvoy! No, Thank you. Um, and uh, like Chris said at the start, do check out the website for Frightfest is... Frightfest.co.uk for all the latest details about what's taking place this year. Uh, and uh, as a, a favour that I ask every time, uh, do get in touch with us at Clashpod or email us show at Clashpod rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts Apple, Spotify or other it's massively appreciated we'll be back next week to talk through Nightmare on Elm Street Candyman 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 stop it (laughs) bye bye this was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network.